one to die That he might give Eternal life That I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment. But first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. What book are we studying? Anybody recall? The book of Acts. Okay, for the last three years, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a while. But... Um, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. That's a good place to go. By the way, I've got a letter I'm going to read in church this morning from a guy that had somebody put a pamphlet on his windshield in the Catholic Church parking lot. I don't know who did it. It had to be somebody. So anyway, I'm going to read you a a little brief letter. Uh, Not right now, but later. In Acts chapter 20, we know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And that our works have nothing to do with saving us, past, present, or future. Salvation is a a done deal when you trust Christ as your Savior. That's his job, is to save us. We don't help him save us. But how do you uh, justify the way people live? Uh, I've been accused a lot of times because I teach so much by salvations, by grace. You don't earn it. So some people get the impression that um, we don't have to do anything. Well, to get to heaven, you don't. But should a Christian live a godly life? What do you think? Just because I teach you're saved by grace, does that mean I want you to live an ungodly life? No. I still want people to live right, but for the right reason. Not to try to earn your way to heaven. Because God says if you try to earn your way to heaven by your good deeds, then um, it doesn't take. <laughs> it's like getting the vaccination, it didn't take. And um, so here, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, and I want to kind of go over it again. In chapter 20, he says here in verse 19, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. So Paul was not against serving the Lord, but was Paul all about grace? Paul's, it, it, all these books, 13, 14 books, I think it was 14 myself, that you're saved by grace without works. And yet, he had an awful lot on how a Christian should live. And so Paul never taught one time that he wanted, or God wanted his children to live wickedly, to live ungodly, to live in sin. God's Word doesn't teach that, nor do I teach that. I teach what the Bible teaches. But serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, 
which befell me by the line and weight of the Jews. Now, do you think he had to do that to go to heaven, though? He didn't have none of that there to go to heaven. He did this because he was already going to heaven, and he wanted somebody else to go. And so you do all that you can in every way that you can to get people to trust Christ as Savior. And the last thing you want is somebody to use your own personal testimony against you or against the gospel, against Christ. And so, therefore, for the sake of the gospel, you guard your testimony. And so he says here in verse 20, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, repentance, change your mind toward God. Realize you cannot save yourself by your works. Every man needs to come to that decision. He cannot save himself. So repentance is changing your mind. You can't save yourself, so you trust Christ. Put your faith in Christ. So some people say, well, it's a, it's a change of mind, and it's a change of mind. But they say it's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. In other words, if you change your mind about something, it is an action that should follow. Okay, let's just give them that, if that's true. If you're going to change your mind about saving yourself and you have to trust Christ as Savior, uh, what would be my change of action? Believe on Jesus Christ. Believing on Jesus Christ is because I changed my mind. So I did change my mind, but the results were uh, I trusted Christ as my Savior. So there, you're satisfied. <laughs> but they want you to say, no, you've got to turn from your sins. No, 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 no. Now you're reading into it. But I wanted you to take your Bible and turn to the um, book of Psalms, the 85th Psalm, back there in the Old Testament. And um, after you and I trust Christ as Savior, yeah, we're God's children. We're going to heaven when we die. And uh, we should be so thankful for all that God has done for us. So what the Lord does here in the 85th Psalm, kind of a, a little... Uh, Reminiscence of uh, what God had done for the people. Look what God has done. And because of all that God has done, what are you doing? You see, it should be a response back to the Lord. Because of all the goodness that God has, because he has loved us. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or in view of what God has done for us, we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. But look what he says in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. I mean, there's a whole big old earth down here. And God made all of it. But he was favorable toward that one piece of land over there that he gave to Israel. He says, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. So they've been in the captivity. He's brought them back. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. In other words, look what God has done. Pause, think, meditate upon what he's saying here. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Turn us. So is there a, a word that talks about in the Bible of Turning from sin. Now we'll discuss a little bit more about that in the uh, morning service. In the book of Ezekiel in chapter 18 where he talks about um, when the wicked shall turn from his sins. Turn from his evil ways. You mean there's a verse in the Bible that says turn from your sins? <laughs> yes. 
Turn from your wicked, evil ways? Yes, it's right there in the Bible. But you've got to find out what, what is he talking about. And so he makes a statement here in verse 5. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? How, how long are you going to draw this thing out, Lord? Wilt thou not revive us again? You ever heard of a song called Revive Us Again? Revive us again. In other words, do a work, Lord, in our hearts. Do a work in our lives. Cause us to be revived to where we awake from out of sleep. And we want to accomplish something. We want to do something for the Lord. So he says here, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. That phrase you ought to underline in your Bible. Not let them return again unto folly. What did they do that brought about the um, chastening hand of the Lord that caused them to go into captivity? Was it because of uh, a little folly here and a little folly there? They played the fool. They rebelled against the Lord, and God had to chasten them. So now it's talking about revive us again. And the last part of that there where it says, and um, that they turn not again to follow. In other words, shouldn't we learn from our lessons? Have you ever gotten a whooping? And your parents tell you that. Don't you ever do that again. Don't do that again. Did you ever do it again? Lynn, how many times have you got? No, never mind. I know his parents probably wore him out. <laughs> probably beat him half to death. And he probably needed every one of them. But sometimes, you know, it takes longer for some people to learn. That's why we can't wait until we're 18 so we can get out, get out on our own have some freedom. <laughs> and then we have to get a job. We've got to get our own place. We've got to pay all of our own bills, get our own insurance. And then we're slaves for the rest of our life. We never knew we had it so good. Well, at my home, you didn't have it that good. <laughs> so... I was 12 years old when I had to go to the Baldock Hill Country Club and start caddying. And I made pretty good money. And uh, you can make 90 cents for, you know, two hours work carrying golf bags. And if you carried two golf bags for 18 holes up and down those hills in Pennsylvania, then you get to get $1.80 an hour. I mean, for, for that day. And it'll only take you four or five hours for, you know, to make that much money. And I was only 12. And I couldn't get the both bags up all the way from the ground. And they would both drag on the ground, and I would have to push them down like this here to try to get them to come out like that. And I tried to get them where they would be balanced. And there was always one person, a husband and a wife. And the wife's got about three clubs, and the man's got about 25 clubs loaded with golf balls. And I would walk up and down the hills like this. <laughs> and then after a while, i have to change them and put them on the side and rub my shoulders raw. I'd get through, and my shoulders would just be sore, rubbed raw. And then when I finally got in, I come down and I got my money in my hand. And there were some kids waiting down there to take it away from me. And they'd get a hold of me and they'd hold my arms and they'd take my money and take my shoes and throw them into the creek. Make me so mad. And it, 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 it created bitterness inside of me. And I thought, I'll never get over this bitterness because, buddy, I was mad. And sometimes I just want to get a hold of her. But anyway, as he says here... In verse 9, surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him and that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth 
are met together. This is a beautiful verse. Look what he says. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I don't know the depths of all of that and what it means, but it sure sounds good. Anytime I guess you got kissing going on, it ought to be good. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. So the Lord, yes, he wants to um, get you to correct things in your life, so that you live the way you're supposed to live. And so... You're supposed to learn from your chastening. Down in the 119th Psalm, it says, Thou hast chastened me, and I have learned. <laughs> I have learned uh, that, I, that afflictions have been good for me because it woke me up. It made me correct a problem. Now, in our own personal life, does God know all the things that we think about, the things we're afraid of? Even though you don't have to say anything, but God knows it anyway. And that's been a, a bad thought of mine is I, sometimes I think about something really bad happening. And then I think about Job. That which I feared has come upon me. And I thought, oh, I should have never thought about those things. Because sometimes then it makes you think, well, that's why it happened, because I was thinking about that. And so you're always trying to, how can I improve? Even you're, you're, the way you think about trusting the Lord or God's going to come through. But what I like about these simple little verses is it kind of lets us know that, yes, God corrected. But God doesn't correct you forever. He kind of lets up, hoping you, you, you want to learn the lesson, and you don't want to return back to it. So does God want his people to live a godly life? Yes. Does God want to bless us? See, this is what you have to be sold on in your mind. God wants the best for me. And if you even think that God got up this morning with a bad headache and he's got it in for you, <laughs> you better go back to bed. Don't even get out of bed. But God does not get up trying to figure out ways, how can I make their life miserable? We do a good enough job on our own by the decisions that we make. So don't blame God for everything. Now, I knew a man, Robert McCurry, up there in um, Atlanta, Georgia. He had a church, and uh, he was a close friend with Dr. Um, Greg Dixon. And uh, he's way up in age now, and uh, I guess he's getting close to 88, 89, maybe even 90. But he's uh, taking a strong stand for the liberty of the church in America. And I've um, only been to his place, I think, one time, but I've seen him in a lot of meetings. But anyway, he just uh, wrote something on August the 5th and sent it out, and I, I get it. And I want to read to you what he, what he said, because uh, he has a lot of Calvinism in him. And so, but a Calvinist will read the Bible... And see all the things that God demands that they do. And so because they've got to persevere in the faith, then they've got to really draw out of the Bible things that will make you serve God. Because that's what they've got to do. Or if they don't, then it will prove that they're really not saved to start with because of their belief. And so sometimes they come up with some little nuggets. They come up with some things. So I can learn some things from anybody. Uh, even the person who's totally wild and off the wall, you can learn some things from, okay, I never want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But you can learn something from everybody. I was told this. 
Every man is your master in something. Therefore, study that you may find out what it is that he knows that you don't know. Because every man knows something you don't know. So that means you can learn something from everybody. Now, we know that we can learn something from those that are older than us because they've been around longer. But can we learn something from those that are our own age? Can you learn something from college-age kids? What about teenagers? Junior high. No, just wipe that off. <laughs> no. But you can learn something from everybody. Parents really think they've got the tiger by the tail until their kids become junior high. And then those junior high kids will teach their parents. There's a lot you don't know about raising kids. Because I've had people say, boy, when I get me some kids, my kids are not going to grow up and act like that. All right, and then that time comes. And their kids act just like that. And then they don't say nothing because they can't make them mind because if they try to correct them, the kids will throw a tantrum right in front of everybody. And so they're embarrassed. And so they just don't say anything. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> I've been in a restaurant one time and this year family was sitting there and they had about three or four kids. I mean, they were, they were destroying the restaurant. I mean, there was food every place. I mean, it was like a, you know, it was just terrible and noisy, loud. And I wanted just to reach over there and get a hold of a couple of those kids, but I didn't. And this one little kid, he looked around and looked. He, he saw me looking right at him. <laughs> and he looked right at me. And I, yeah! Nobody heard me, but that kid did. And the parents thought they heard something, but they weren't sure what it was. And that kid looked back at me, and he didn't say a word. He just stared at me. And that kid said in his mind, no man ever spoke like that before. I better shut up and sit down. I was on a plane one time. <laughs> the little kid up there. I'm sitting there, and I just want peace and quiet. You know, the Bible talks about peace and righteous. I was doing right, and I ought to have peace. And uh, but that kid was irritating me to no end. So he would turn and he turned around. And he saw me. Yeah. It's amazing how that would be so effective, because see, the parents sometimes they let the kids get away with murder. You ever seen some kids like that? You ever seen parents do that? You did that, huh? No, no. But um, this is what uh, he wrote. Because of the way that people are today, uh, some people believe that because you believe in salvation by grace, that you're just giving people a license to sin. Well, you can't get permission to sin. Uh, that's, that's not in the Bible. It's not taught. Like God says, okay, it's okay for you to sin today. Great. <laughs> no, he doesn't give you permission. There's a, you, you're free to make choices, but you're not permitted to do the wrong thing without consequences. There's consequences. Anyway, he says, I recently heard, again, the old cliche that we're not under law, but grace. I fear that this mentality is often a cover-up for those who love the world and the things of the world. This is my impression. I am considered a legalist by many which I interpret to be a criticism of the standards and principles I preach and live by, and by which I evaluate or judge the lives of professing Christians. It is an unhappy day in Christendom, for the image of the church is badly tarnished, and the world stands amused. Dear friends, it is a time for repentance and weeping, for in many instances the glory of the Lord departed. I really didn't see anything wrong with what he had to say there. But isn't it true that majority of churches, you would say, that 
ungodly people are going to church. But after church, they live an ungodly life, and it doesn't honor the Lord. And this is just to soothe their conscience and make them feel better, put a little salve on the sore, and uh, then the rest of the week, well, I paid my dues. I went to church. Now the other six days, those are mine. But I gave God his time on, on Sunday. And then they have no godliness in them. And so that is a, a shame. In the um, book of Romans 6, and it says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And then these two words, God forbid. Just because we're not under the law doesn't mean that we should not live a godly life. Shall we live in sin? Like I've had people say, you know, well, we're not under the law. And I, I agree with that. But they'll use that if there's something that they don't want to do that is under the law. For example, like, you know, giving or tithing or something like that there. I get criticized an awful lot about that. But that, that's perfectly fine. People can choose to do whatever they want. I just tell people why I do what I do. And if it's um, robbing God under the law, well, the last thing I want to do is rob God. I'm supposed to learn something. From, okay, what can I learn from that verse? I learned that I don't want to rob God. Well, that's under the law. Well, they were doing that before the law was ever given. I never saw where God took it away. It's just a good principle how to give. But isn't it also under the law, thou shalt not commit adultery? Okay, since we're not on the law, it's okay now. Would, it, would that be right? Thou shalt not steal. Well, that was under the law. It's okay to steal now. You know the verse in the Bible that says, uh, steal no more. It says in the book of Ephesians that, you know, you're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to lie. Well, under the law, I guess that's okay now because we're not under the law. No, it doesn't justify. Christ did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Do you know that if we love the Lord and live the way God wants us to, you can fulfill the law, but not for our righteousness. That's just still a standard of righteousness. That's what we use to show people that they're lost, that they can't save themselves by their works. But it doesn't mean the principles of the teachings in the Bible that they're all gone now. No, you still got to, as a child of God, we should... Uh, do what's right. Even in the book of Romans in chapter 8 says the righteousness is fulfilled in us, but not by us. Now, he goes on to say this. We live in an unbelievably lawless society. In many inner cities, the lawless criminal element controls entire neighborhoods where citizens fear for their lives and property. In some instances, the police are hesitant to enter crime-ridden public housing. It is a grim picture. We are appalled and dismayed at such lawlessness and yearn for the days when decency and civility prevailed. Isn't it a shame whenever you see all the things that are happening on some of the campuses? What's going on in some of the inner cities where people are just, I mean, they're, they're just killing each other. Especially up there like in Chicago and all the people that have been killed. And... You stop and think about the riots that they try to foment, the, the, the atmosphere of, of rebellion. And it's just teaching rebellion in every form. 
the laws that are trying to get passed about, you know, on homosexuality or abortion and uh, breaking down of the home, the families, all the things that are happening uh, is because of S-I-N, because of sin. Well, if, if you change the law and you don't make that sin, then, then that's not sin because you're just obeying the law. So they want to change the law to justify the sin. So that's not sinful. And now they've coming out where Google is going to be, and I just read this yesterday, uh, they got certain words that it will pick up if you are saying something that's toxic, you know, that uh, really causes uh, ill feelings in people's lives. So that you can't, if you say this or you say this and they're trying to find, and most of the things that they, Google will pick out are things from the Bible. Things from the Bible is going to be very offensive. And therefore, you put things up there of what the Bible says, and then uh, you may be totally eliminated from having your things on YouTube or on the Internet at all. And they can just take it all off. They've been wanting to do this even on radio and on television. In other words, censor anyone who teaches contrary to what they want to do in their agenda, which is to bring down our society, and everything's going to be, you know, Lawful. So to pass laws, that's why they want to have people in Congress that will pass laws because of the way they want to live. So generally you accept a theology based upon your morality. And so whenever you don't have any morality, you don't want no theology. So anyway, that's a little bit about how it goes. He goes on and makes this statement. He says, as alarming as this is. Even more distressing is the fact that a spirit of lawlessness has found its way into the body of Christ. Because you stop and think. The way the world is and the things that they show on radio and television and so on. Believers, they hear that six days a week. They come to church and they may get 45 minutes to an hour of a message. Now... We often say, you know, the parents can have their children at home, but they send them to the public school, and they have them for five days all day long. Now, who's going to have the biggest influence upon those kids? The parents who they see for a few hours or the teachers in the classrooms that has them for six, seven hours a day, five days a week? Who has the greatest influence? Well, I take my kids to Sunday school in church or something like that. Yeah, one hour? Against all those hours, which has the greater impact. So you have a damage that's been done to our society. And because the world has a humanistic philosophy. And so they don't look to the Lord, don't trust the Lord. And so, lo and behold, they don't make decisions based upon scripture or biblical principles. But to come to church, and if the preacher was to preach on something that is right out of the book, but because they've heard the other side for so long, they begin to develop that attitude that this is acceptable, and there's nothing wrong with this, there's nothing wrong with this. Then they jump all over the preacher because, well, I disagree with him. He just believed that old-fashioned Bible. Well, if we're not going to believe the Bible, we ought to just take the thing, throw it in the trash can, go live our lives. 
So is the Bible going to be able to give us all this strength that we need to combat all the ills of society? Who is influencing who? Are they influencing the church or is the church influencing the world? How do you see it going? Because even when you talk about the, uh, the chain of command, the, the, the power structure that God lays down, or even how to raise kids or how to teach or to discipline. Would take my place. Telling someone how to go to heaven is the greatest thing we can do in this life. To prepare you, Pastor Yankee Arnold is offering you his book, Gospel Driven Man, absolutely free. Gospel Driven Man explains in simple steps how to successfully share the gospel. To get your free copy of Gospel Driven Man, write to Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Or email Yankee Arnold at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed. Caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.